Bibles, go ahead and find the book of Genesis. should be an easy one to find. Go to the table of contents and keep on turning. <laughs> Unless you've got a study Bible, it might be on the next page. <laughs> oh, my. Um, yeah, we're going to start here in Genesis chapter number 12 here this, this evening. I was thinking as those young ladies were singing, um, some of the insight that he sang near the cross, and he's talking about a woman that had some insight, old Fanny Crosby, she wrote some of those, those wonderful hymns. My, 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 if I could just, if I could see what that blind lady could see, I'd be in a whole lot better place. <laughs> but I was thinking as they were singing Victory in Jesus, what a, what a song. He starts, you ever pay attention, that first verse, it deals with our past, right? He gave me victory in the past. November the 6th, 1994, I got victory over the penalty of sin. I don't have to worry about sin anymore. Uh, what's going to come and what, what's going to come for it, that's all settled. I'm on my way to heaven. I got victory. You look at that second verse. It deals with the present tense. You know, I, I, I may not have to worry about the penalty, but I still got some problems with my life that I got to deal with. And he's talking about victory there in our, in our current life, the healing that we have, the, uh, the atoning that we have, the, uh, the way that he works, that he came and, and brought victory he, to my broken spirit. But then he get into that third verse. <laughs> I, I got a little lost on that one as I started thinking about that. He's coming today. There will be. Uh, he's going to give us victory from the presence of sin. Amen. See, I got victory from the penalty, right? And that's what I got when I got saved. I've, I'm being saved. I've got victory over the power of sin in my life if I'll access it. But there's coming a day where we're going to have victory or victory from the presence of sin. We ain't going to have to worry about it. Ain't going to be around it. I got to thinking about that day. We get over there, and I, I flipped over there. I like uh, Revelations chapter 4 and 5. Uh, it's a little rough reading until you get to there. 4 and 5 is great. Uh, then when you get after that's over, it gets a little rough again until you get down to about 19 to 20, and then it starts to get a little bit better, right? Uh, but chapter 4 and 5, I, I, I like that passage. And I was thinking about this actually yesterday. When I, we got up, that mom had flipped on the television. They had that big coronation for... Uh, king charles whatever that he is now the king of england whatever that means uh and, and then when i by the time that i watched that i turned it on or that she had turned on and i saw it uh they had the whole army and she's talking about there's four thousand soldiers standing there something went through my mind and i remembered what john said and you talking about a coronation that's coming one of these now, now he's already let me tell you something he's already king of kings and lord of lords he ain't waiting to be crowned he already is but there's coming a day, John said, I saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands gathered around the throne. Can I tell you, there might have been a crowd up there for King Charles. It ain't going to compare to the one that's going to be around when the Lord Jesus Christ comes down and sits down upon his throne. But I was thinking about up there and right before that passage, it talks about that he took the, the, the book, right, that was sealed with the seven seals. And it says the four, be the, the four beasts bowed down and the four and twenty elders bowed down there. And, and then four beasts that are there, they represent the seraphim. And what the seraphim have been doing, based on what I can understand, is all through eternity, they've been flying back and forth through heaven around the throne, crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Uh, the whole, in another place will say the whole earth is full of his glory. They've been, they've been singing that and saying that for all of eternity. But they're about to take a point, come to a point where them four beasts, them seraphim, are going to have to stop for a little bit. Because there's a song about to be sung up there. It says a new song. Think about that. In heaven, a new song is going to be saying. Heaven's been around. You say, how long? It says God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been. Yet there's going to be a new song one of these days sang up there in heaven. And them old, them, them old angels, they're going to have to stop and take a back seat. They've been praising God for eternity. They say, all right, y'all, it's y'all's break time now. Y'all about to sit down. Y'all can't sing this song because it talks about the fact that thou hast redeemed us from every kindred and nation and tribe and tongue. Now, you talking about a victory party then. You talking about a shouting and a singing that day. You say, you sure it's going to be that way? Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be that way. How do you know? Because I'll be up there number one. <laughs> I, I I was thinking this, I've been teaching through the book, I'll get around to preaching here in a little bit, I'm enjoying myself, uh, I've been teaching through the book of Matthew, and uh, uh, we've got down into the, uh, into the, the Beatitudes there, and uh, we've come down, and we were, t I was teaching on them last night, or Wednesday night rather, and we come down to that, the next, the last one there, where it says, uh, blessed are ye that when you, uh, when men shall revile you and hate you and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake, it says rejoice, right? 
It, it tells you to rejoice. And then it says, and be exceeding glad. I went and looked up what exceeding glad means. It means to jump around and shout and clap your hands. Can I say that? That's right in order, is it not? There have been people all, you know, all down through the ages saying, well, y'all ought to be all dignified and y'all ought to watch what y'all doing in church. Hey, the Bible said be exceeding glad to jump around and shout. I think of it this way. This is the way I taught it. It's kind of like my, my little four-year-old nephew. Whenever he sees something that he, that, that's for him that he's been wanting, he gets a little excited. He starts bouncing a little bit. That's the way we ought to get with the Lord because there's coming a day we're going to get up there in heaven and we're going to sing. <laughs> and I tell you, I can't wait to see that day. I don't know when it's going to be, but I'm hoping it's sooner. Sooner rather than later. Uh, we're going to be up there gathered around that throne. All right, that being said, let's go over to Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. Give you an idea where my mind goes sometimes during the service. Not on what I'm supposed to be preaching, but I was enjoying it anyway. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 12. Uh, we're going to start in here. and I, I was reading through this, uh, so, uh, I don't know, a week ago, a week ago, a week or two ago. I've preached a couple times out of this. And I still haven't got this message figured out yet. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wander around a little bit, but I'm doing the same thing Abraham's about to do. I'm going to wander around a little bit before I get into where I need to go, all right? Genesis chapter number 12, begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country from, and from thy kindred uh, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee. Now, I want to stop right there and make sure we realize that God had given him this very statement back in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. That's what we're going to learn as we, if we get back up into chapter 11, you're going to find that out. And as we go on through the Bible later on, it'll be brought clear that God had appeared unto Abraham. He'd already done it, past tense. And so that he had appeared and now he is reiterating a statement. Can I tell you, thank God that he will come back and tell us a second time. <laughs> Praise God that uh, there's a passage over there. There's a little verse, uh, Mark chapter two, verse number one, uh, I believe it is that where it, it starts out there. It says, "And he entered in again under Capernaum." I'm glad the Lord will come back around. Uh, that when we don't get it right, he'll come back around. He's going to reiterate the statement now. He says, "And I will make of thee a great nation." And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now this is the great promise, and by the way, notice, it is an unconditional promise. He didn't say, if you do this. He said, God said, I'm going to do this. And by the way, I like it when God says, I'm going to do it, not a, if you will, I will. It's, a, I'm a going to do this. Abraham, Abram, this is what I'm going to do through you. And he says, I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curse Thee. And can I say, by the way, we ought to make sure that our leaders never forget that because that promise, I believe, is still in effect. You stand by the Jewish people, by the Israelites of the day, and God will honor that because those are, I know that he's got to put them on the back burner, but those are still his people. And they's coming today. They're coming back to the forefront, all right? And it says also that in him shall all uh, nations and all families of the earth be blessed. Praise the Lord. The promise of the, uh, of the coming Messiah one of these days. He goes on. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Shechem, under the plain of Morah, and he, the Canaanite was in the land. I'll stop reading there. What I'm interested in and what has caught my attention is there in verse number 5, right? It is verse number 5 that I was, as I was reading that, it says that he, that he left, that he took everything that he had there at the end of it, in Haran there, and he went forth to go into the land of Canaan, semicolon. And he came into the land of Canaan. Is that mine? It is? All right. There we go. <laughs> Taken care of. I was hoping somebody would help me with that. Uh, so he came in the land of Canaan, semicolon, right? And then the next verse, it says, into the land of Canaan, he came. Now, as I was reading, the thought that came through my mind was, well, of course he did. 
Because that's what God was doing through him, right? God had a plan. God had a mission. God had a place where he wanted Abram to be. Now, the Bible will tell us there uh, that he was going to send him off into a place that he will show him. Uh, it didn't necessarily say go to the land of Canaan, but that's where Abraham kept setting his target, right? And so that he kept setting his target there, and eventually he came there. And as I was reading that, I was like, God, sometimes you make statements that, I, that first of all, I'm just sitting there looking. It's like, well, yeah, of course, you wanted him to get there, he's going to get there. Can I say, by the way, thank God that as a child of God, that our ultimate destination is heaven, right? And we're going to get there one of these days. I don't know what I was going to be in the middle. There's a big semicolon from November the 6th, 1994 for me. I was saved and I set forth my destination as heaven. One of these days, I'm living in the semicolon still. One of these days, I'm going to get to heaven, right? And I'll get there. And by the way, I'll look around and say, well, of course I did. Because that's what God told me he would do. And so what got my attention then is what all is contained in that semicolon. And then how could it apply to our lives there? And so I, what I'm preaching on is the imaginary spot right in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to get out of the Bible. But I'm going to uh, think, I wanted to think about some things. And I begin, as I begin to think about these, it brought into the whole aspect of Abram's journey, right? As I began to think about that semicolon, as he left the place called Haran, he traveled south. Across, he had to cross the river Euphrates, travel through some uh, different land, a different country, and come south until he got down into the land that we now know as Israel there, uh, the land of Canaan, because that's where God had desired for him to be, right? So along that time period, between, in the semicolon here, uh, between the time that he left from Haran until the time that he came to the place of Canaan, what all do you think he had to go through? What all do you think he had to deal with? Can I say, it, it may be a little bit difficult in this day and age for us to truly get our mind wrapped around it, right? That, about what is going on because we don't think much about a long journey now, what we consider to be a long journey. Back in March, I left out of my house uh, very early on a Monday morning and, very, and uh, late in the afternoon on that same Monday, I arrived at the Best Western Plus in Piedmont, South Carolina. I was driving for about six and a half, seven, eight hours, something like that. I didn't pay attention to how long it took me. Uh, and I got down there because there was a church service I wanted to go to that night and the rest of the week. Uh, and so it didn't take me very long. It was, it's actually a couple hundred miles to drive down there, so we don't think much about those travels. I mean, in this day and age, you could get on a plane there in Heron and end up down in the place of, uh, down in Jerusalem in that area in no, no, no time at all, right? If there is an airport in Heron. Uh, and so uh, that, that's the world that we live in. But in Abram's day, he is traveling not just with him and his wife. He doesn't have any children yet. He's got his, uh, Nephew Lot now, we'll come back to him after a while, and he's got everything that he's gathered together while they were there in Haran, all his servants, all his herds, all his flocks, everything that he's got, and now he's traveling down there, so he's got to move at a slow pace. You can't push the animals all that fast, right? Not only that, does he got to cross that river Euphrates somewhere. And I want you to understand something. We don't have in this area rivers like what they have over there. I remember that when I was going to school at WVU, uh, way, way back yonder, um, uh, way back in the 1900s, really. Uh, and, <laughs> well, it was. As I was going to school there, I was taking an African studies class or something like that that you had to take to get credits, all those different things. And uh, there was a teacher there that was from uh, somewhere in Africa. I can't remember what it was. And he said when he came to West Virginia, when he came to Morgantown, he heard there was a river around there. And he wanted to go see the river there. And it is the Monongahela River. It's not a lot different than the Kanawha River, maybe even a little bit smaller. And when he looked at it, he says, that's a river? <laughs> if he were to look here at the Coal River, he'd say, that's all you got? Yet, just to cross that thing, take the bridges out of the way, just to cross that requires you to know the right place where you can get down the banks and cross that river and get back up the other side without drowning, right? And, and so that's the life, that's the world that they live in. And that's what they're dealing with when it comes to the Euphrates River. He's got to cross that. And so I began to think about it this way. All the journey that Abram had that there must have been things that hindered him 
from getting to where he was supposed to be there. Remember, as I said, that the original call, the original appearance of God, according to what Stephen will preach later on in the book of Acts, that the glory of God appeared before Abraham while he was in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, right? Now, if you were to look at a map for Ur of the Chaldees, different study Bibles have it in different places. I, I believe, if I understand it correctly, that it's way over there near the Persian Gulf. It's actually farther on down the river Euphrates than the, than the city of Babylon. It's way over there on the Fertile Crescent. Uh, in fact, if you were to sit there and look at the Fertile Crescent, he just about traveled from one side to the next uh, as he's making his journey. And that's where he originally got it. And so I began to wonder about the things that must have come into his life and the hindrances that might have been in his way as he is, a, as he is getting this call from God to go into a place that, he, that God's going to show him. Now, by the way, I said he's got a, the Bible gives us a destination, but God didn't say it. He said, go into a land that I will show thee. Right. Let me liken it to this. It'd be as though I were to go to back to my house this evening under the instruction of God. He's not called me to do this. Don't, I'm not going to do it. And to pack up everything that I have into my truck. I don't think it'll fit. And hop in, this, hop in it, go down, fill up my truck, and take off driving. And you might see me along the way and say, where are you going? Don't know. Just driving. You got a death? Nope. Don't know where I'm headed. I'm just going. Y'all think I was crazy and nuts, right? Yeah. That's, that, that, that's the way many people probably thought about Abram, right? Uh, based on what is being given here and the call that is given in his life. And so as I began to think about that, I, I, I thought about it this way, that in our Christian life, a lot of times that's the same thing that we have. Because understand this, that though uh, we may not be called to go to a physical place uh, like the land of Canaan, God has a place that he wants you to be, right? Uh, the land of Canaan, I know that in song that it represents heaven. That's not true. That's not right. Uh, you say, well, how do you know? Because whenever Abram got there, and then when the Israelites finally come out of Egypt and got there, there were strangers in the land. Can I say, there's not going to be any strangers in heaven. The Bible says we'll all know as we're known, right? And then when they came in, they had battles to fight and giants to face and all this and that. And I'm here to tell you, when I get to heaven, all the battles aren't done, but they are for me. I'm going to be a spectator from there on out. I know there's at least two more to come uh, once I get to heaven, but I'm just going to be watching in the rest of those uh, and say that's the way it is. And so I understand that, that, that it is not necessarily a representation of heaven. What it is in the life of Abram, in the life of the Israelite, it is the place where God desired for them to be that he was going to bless them and use them and he was going to grow them. Right? <clears throat> so, if we bring that into our day and age, as a Christian, that there is a place, spiritually speaking, where God wants you to be. There is a place, spiritually speaking, where God is going to bless, where God is going to grow you, where God can use you. Now, that's not to say God won't bless you along the way, and I thank God that He blesses us all the time. Uh, he blesses us way yonder more than we deserve. The truth of the matter is, He didn't even have to save us so that we're going to heaven. If that's all He had ever done, that right there would have been enough, but I thank God that He didn't stop right there. Uh, but can I say that uh, there is a place where he desires for you to be spiritually speaking there a place where he wants and so as I compare the Christian life uh, with the journey of Abram I began to wonder if maybe some of the things that hinder us hindered him and so I thought about what might have hindered him in his journey because here's the thing. He got the call back in chapter 11 actually, though it's not given out there. He got the call when he was still in Ur of the Chaldees, right? And as he's in Ur of the Chaldees, it'll tell us there in verse 31 of the previous chapter, it says, and Terah took Abram his son. Now Terah is Abram's father, right? Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan, and they came into Haran and dwelt there, right? And so they're in, they're in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and they, Terah takes them. But Terah didn't get the call. Abram got the call. So why is Terah leading? 
I began to wonder if maybe Abram done what a lot of us do. That when God began to deal with us about where he would have us to be, we got a little scared. I'll be honest with you, and I understand this from my point of view. Okay, I, don't, I can't speak from yours, but I know it from mine. That there was a day in my life when God began to deal with me that I was supposed to be preaching. Now, I tried to bargain with God, right? I'm, I was already, and I'm not trying to brag on myself. I, I'm bragging on the Lord, okay? I'm, I'm, and I'm just stating facts here, all right? I, I was already driving the church van there at our church, Elizabeth Missionary Baptist. I was already leading and teaching the youth, the young people there. I was teaching Sunday school for one of the younger groups. Don't know how I got suckered into that, but I I was doing it. I was leading church service. I was singing in the choir. I was active in the church, right? And you say, well, that's where you ought to have been. That's a great place. And man, if you could have stayed there, that'd been fine. No, God began to deal with me at some point and says, I want you to go preach. I got afraid. He says, why? Because of the destination. You know, sometimes the destination can hinder us. Do you ever wonder that if, that if Abram didn't get started out the way that he was supposed to, that Terah took him, that Terah got him started, and they didn't end up at the right place, by the way, because the wrong person was leading, and God was the one that was supposed to show the way. They set out for, for Canaan, that's what they did, but they got stuck along the way, right? I wonder if the destination scared him a little bit. Because when you stop and think about it, in this day and age, that when we're headed somewhere, we can plan. We can go out there and we can get online and we can look at all these uh, uh, travel advisories and all these different things. They'll tell us about go visit this and go see that and that's where this is and that's where that is. And then when it comes down to it, they're only about half right. But we can plan all this out. We can understand what to expect when we get to where we're going, right? Uh, but, 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 but in his day and age, he had never been there. He couldn't hop on the internet to find out what it was like. He is going to a place where he knows nothing about where he's going to end up. Meaning this, he doesn't know where he's going to find a place to shelter, where he's going to be able to set up a tent. He does not know what kind of enemies he's going to face when he gets there. He does not know what kind of trials the people that are in the place. He does not know, and this is a big one, where he is going to feed his flock. He does not know where he is going to feed his family. He does not know where he's going to find water. And so there might have been some hindrances in his life based on the destination because according to what God said, he doesn't even know where he's going, number one. And he does not know what to expect when he gets there. Can I say in the Christian life, it can get that way. That, that, that when God is dealing with us to go to a place that, that, that we've never been before with him, that it can be scary because we do not know how it is going to affect our daily life. Trust me, and it will change your daily life. We get built into our comfort zone, so to speak. I mean, let, let's face it. I, I, I've lived on Garrett's Bend Road out, or way over there near Route 3 all my life. We've moved once in my life. I was seven years old. We moved a grand total of about 400 feet. A little over 100 yards, right? We moved around the curve from one house to another. I'll tell you how far we moved. The, the old house that we lived in when I, was, when I was growing up to seven, that we eventually have tore it down, and my sister is now building there. When I turn around in the driveway of the house that I live in now, I can see that house. <laughs> yeah, I've spent a little time in that area, right? Needless to say, I kind of know it pretty good, right? I mean, growing up, I spent... I mean. Back in the day, I mean, that's all we had really was Nintendo. Mom and Dad wouldn't even let me have one of those. I had an Atari, but that's about the best farthest I'd ever get. They wouldn't even buy me more games for it. And so I had to spend time doing, you know, this unimaginable thing. I had to go outside. Young people, there is an outside out there. I know it's hard to believe it's not just pictures. It really exists out there. I knew every single deer trail. I knew every path. I knew every cow trail. I still know my way around those hills. Now, I don't get around them near as fast. 
And the options that I have to get up and down them aren't as many. Because there's places I won't go up and down now on foot. What I'm saying is I'm comfortable there. I know my way around. We get that way in our life, right? We get to working. We get to a place, spiritually speaking, where we are comfortable. We like it. And all of a sudden, here comes the Lord and shows up in our life and says, I want you to pack it all up, spiritually speaking, and go somewhere where I'm about to show you. And the destination, though we may know it or not know it, may scare us and hinder us from where we're supposed to go. Abraham Abraham didn't get the start he was supposed to get. And so thank God, by the way, he came back the second time. The destination can be a little bit of a hindrance. Can I say number two, not only the destination, maybe the directions. Now, I'm not talking the GPS directions. I'm talking the directions that God had given him on how to get there, what to do to go there. It says back there in uh, uh, verse number one of chapter 12, the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country. Number one, you've got to get out of the place where you are, right? You say, well, why did he have to get out of that country? Why couldn't God bless him there? Well, what we'll learn that Joshua will teach us when he's reiterating this story is that in that place where he originally came from, they served idols. It's highly possible that Abram even served idols up until the point that the Lord God appeared to him. At least his family did. You say, well, how do you know? Well, later on down the road, you're going to have a man by the name of Jacob, right? He's back up there into Laban's. That is a relative of Abraham, right? They're back up around Haran. I know it's called Peyton Aram there, but it's in that same place. And he's up there. And when they finally leave, Rachel does something that she ought not do. She goes over and she steals Laban's gods. Can I pause right there and say, praise God, you ain't stealing my God. Abram got all upset, or Laban got all upset about that, by the way. And, and he decided that he was going to come and chase him because Jacob took off with his God. So he's got to chase him down to get his gods back. Can I say, praise the Lord, you can't take mine? <laughs> he ain't going anywhere he don't want to go. And I, by the way, I ain't carrying him around. He carrying me around. But Abram would have been in that country. They probably were serving idols right there. And even his family was an idol-worshiping family there. We might come back to that here in a little bit there. And so he is called to get out of that land, to get out of that place. That's direction number one. Can I tell you, sometimes God is going to stir us up and get us out of the place where we're at to take us somewhere else because there's something around us that may hinder us down the road. You say, man, that's rough. Yeah, it is rough, but sometimes that's the case. There are things, there's always things in our lives. There are things right now, I guarantee you, in your life that if you were to follow God the way you're supposed to, we'll get there here in a little bit, that you ought to be getting rid of. And so he's called, number one, get out of thy country. Now notice this, and from thy kindred. Now I'm not telling you to go and turn your back on all your family. God told Abram to do it though. He says, get away from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And so these are the instructions that Abram has received. Get out of your country, get away from your kindred, and get away from your father's house. So what happens? If over there in Ur of the Chaldees, I can imagine Abram says, well, Tara, uh, Dad, God's dealing with me to do this, and, you know, I, I'm kind of wondering about, I mean, these, these directions are tough. I mean, I love you, Dad, but, uh, but he's telling me to leave you. He says, that's all right, we just go with you. Back into chapter number 11, verse 31, and Terah took Abram. Not the other way around. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son, or the son, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, right? So it's not Abram that's following the word in the directions of God. It's Terah that is taking the place and saying, well, this is the way I think maybe this is what we ought to do. Is God's telling you to leave this country. And yeah, I know he says to leave your father's house, but what if we just go with you, right? Can I say there is danger in not obeying the word of God? 
And so what happens? Abram ends up with Terah and his family, not where God wants him to be. They get sidetracked. They're supposed to be coming in a, in a westerly direction. There's an ark there, right? Underneath the Euphrates River. If he's doing that, if he's following the direction he's supposed to be going, he'll go under the Euphrates River, stand south of it the whole time, circle and come right down along the Mediterranean coast and be in there. Haran is on the other side of the Euphrates River. So what's he do? He goes there and he's got to cross the Euphrates River. And then when he gets ready to leave Haran, he's got to cross the thing again. If he, had, if he had followed God from the beginning, he'd have never had to cross that river once. He crossed it twice. Can I stop right here and say how many times in our lives have we had to deal with problems and difficulties in our Christian and spiritual lives because we're not following the directions that God has laid out for us? You want to see a great example of it? On over there in the book of Exodus, well, down in, about, or down in the Numbers. God has finished everything he needs to do around Mount Sinai, right? The children of Israel have been out of the land of Egypt for about a year. And he's been, they've been around Sinai getting everything situated and settled up, getting the covenants, getting the law, building the tabernacle. And that stuff takes longer than it, than it would today. And about a year into it, he says, all right, let's pack up and start heading north. And they come up to a place called Kadesh Barnea up there on the southern end of the land of Israel. And God says, go up and occupy the land. That's the direction, right? About a year into it. And the children of Israel says, let's go and check it out and see if it really is everything God says it's going to be. Well, they don't, they're doubting. So they go on up, in, so they send those 12 spies right up into the land. And the 12 spies go up there and they scout out the land. They come back, there's a couple of them that's got a branch, a rod or something stuck on their, hanging on their shoulders. And hanging on that rod is a cluster of grapes. Now, I've picked some clusters of grapes. We've got a grapevine behind the house. I've never needed two people to carry one. That must have been a big cluster. I, I've thought about this a lot of times. I wonder if, if it was just a giant cluster with a ton of grapes on it or if it was a cluster with some huge grapes. I'm talking like watermelons, right? So like, you know, we have grapes now today that we'll take four or five as a, if, you know, for ourselves and that, that's just a little bitty bite or snack. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the kind of grapes that you put it out on the table you slice it up and says, alright, everybody come and get you a bite. Amen. That's a grape, right? Now, I don't know which one's the case. We get to heaven, we'll ask them and find out, right? But regardless, they've come down. And man, they come back and all 12 spies agree to this one point. This land is everything God said it would be. I mean, absolutely the best. It is a truly a land that floweth with milk and honey. Ten of them said, but. There's giants in the land. Let me go ahead and pop your bubble if you've been paying attention to a lot of these preachers on television. When you're doing what God wants you to do, sometimes you're still going to run into some giants. It ain't all sunshine and rainbows, lollipops and gumdrops. I'm going to tell you that right now. He said, there are giants in the land. Ten of them said that. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, right? They said, we can do it. He said, Joshua and Caleb, but there's giants. Yeah, I know there's giants in the land, but my God's bigger than them giants. Can I say, I think they had a little bit of spiritual insight that David had. You remember what David did? You know, the story when we really meet, the second time we meet David, he's gone down there where the battle's going on against the Philistines and all the armies standing up there quaking in their boots because this man by the name of Goliath, that he's about nine and a half feet tall down there, he starts telling them, y'all send somebody down to fight me and, and all this is going on and he's, uh, uh, and he's uh, sitting there slandering the name of the Lord God Almighty and David, this little old run of a boy, looks down there and says, why don't somebody go down there and do something about that? And they all, I, I can imagine that now. I'm paraphrasing, right? They all look, because can you not see him? <laughs> David said, yep, but I got one bigger. <laughs> and by the way, that's the way it is. We got one bigger. 
as he looks down there, he goes down and eventually everything settles in. He goes down in there with that sling and them five little stones. And by the way, I don't even think he needed the five stones. He just took them down there. We know he only needed one of them. He didn't even need that because he gets down there and Goliath starts to run him down. He says, I'm the battle. He says, I'm not here to fight. The battle is the Lord's battle. And I'm here to tell you that if we're following God, we're going to run into some things in our lives. We better be ready to face it. You better expect that there's going to be some giants come your way. But can I tell you, I don't care how big the giant is, that my God is bigger than they are, and the battle is not mine, it's his. Learn to get behind him, I'll be in a lot better place. Anyway, I got off track. So they're supposed to go into the land, right? And and all of them decide, no, we're not going to do it because we're afraid. I mean, granted, our God just demolished the nation of Egypt. I mean, mean, it's only been a year ago, and I mean, he just just wore that place out, right? And brought brought finally a plague that killed all the firstborn children there, uh, the the man and the beast. And we come walking out of there. Our God just split the Red Sea in two, by the way. And I don't believe it's no Red Sea or mud puddle they walked through. I believe they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And by the way, my God didn't even need to split it. They could have walked across the top of it. That's the kind of faith I've got, by the way. And we saw the the entire army of Pharaoh that had came after us go down in there and God slaughtered all them. And now we've been up to Sinai and we've seen the glory of God. God has spoken to us out of the mountain. There was fire on the mountain. God has been feeding us with manna every morning and quail every evening. There's been water coming out of this rock for a year that's watered our entire nation million plus. But I'm not sure he can handle that. I'm here to tell you, God saved your soul from the penalty of hell. There ain't nothing else coming in your life that he can't handle. We can trust him with eternity. Why can't we trust him with tomorrow? Hey, why don't we just trust him with today, right? And so the children of Israel, I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to get to the point here in a minute. The children of Israel are then turned away and they spend 40 years, right, wandering around in the wilderness. Dealing with the punishment of God, by the way, of their own fault. How many things have we dealt with in our life because it's our fault? It ain't the ju- it, hey, it ain't God testing us. It ain't Satan coming our way. It's the punishment, the chastisement and scourging of God because we ain't doing what we're supposed to be doing. And for 40 years, they're wandering around. There's a lot of Christians just wandering around in the wilderness. And finally, the time's up, and they head up, and they come around, and they're sitting on the banks of the River Jordan across, and the Canaan is on the other side. And in order to get there, God has to stop the river. I'm here to tell you, if they'd obeyed God in the first place, They'd have never had to deal with that river. Because they'd have been coming up from the south. They had to go through some... Can I say God had to work a miracle in their lives because they disobeyed him in the first place. They didn't follow the instructions. They didn't follow the directions that God had. And Abram's going to deal with the same thing. I'm kind of getting bogged down here, but we'll, we'll we'll try to keep moving. Abram's going to deal with the same thing. And so he gets stuck now. He's crossed the Euphrates River. He's stuck. He's delayed in Haran. Can I tell you, a lot of us Christians, I said, we're wandering around. We're delayed where we're supposed to be. And so he's delayed there according to the book of Acts now that Stephen says that he stayed there till his father died. Now, I got a little problem with that. I'm not trying to put down the word of God, okay? I'm not trying to change the word of God. I'm not even saying it's inaccurate. This is what I'm getting at. That's what, Ab- that's what Stephen will say over in the uh, book of Acts in chapter 7, that Abram stayed there until Terah died. Now, back in Genesis chapter number 11, we find out in verse 26 that Terah lived 70 years and beget Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Right? We read that in verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Right? 
We'll read later on that Abram was seven, in verse number four of chapter 12, that Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. If Abram was born when he was, when Terah was 70 years old, the math doesn't work. It just doesn't. 145. Terah's still got 65 more years to go, or 60 more years to go. You say, well, how can that be the case? The word of God's never wrong. I, I agree with that. And I'm going to give you two sides to it. You say, how do you reckon that? Number one, the word of God oftentimes simply states what somebody said. doesn't say whether it's right or wrong. It just says it states what they said. Okay? Satan's quoted in there a lot, and guess what he does? He lies. Does that mean the word of God's wrong because Satan's quoted in there? And he, no. Stephen is a man, right? He may have made a mistake. He may have been speaking according to the custom and the tradition of the nation of Israel. In which case, there are two possibilities. One is that Abram wasn't born when he was 70 years old. You say, well, the Bible's wrong. No, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. It says Terah was 70 year old, years old when he, began, when he began Abram, Nahor, and Herod. So unless he had triplets or three wives, he didn't have all three of them when he was 70. Just doesn't work, right? Number one. Number two, it's not necessarily listed in the order of oldest to youngest. How do we, how do we list the sons of Noah? Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Which one's the oldest? Japheth. And he's listed last. The Bible doesn't always list him in the order of the oldest to the youngest. I understand the tradition of the day was that the oldest was the one that got the blessing and the double portion. And a lot of times we'll say, well, that's the way God... No, that ain't the way God did it. Jacob got the blessing and the double portion. Jacob had the blessing from God before he was ever born. He was, the, he was younger than Esau. Reuben's the oldest in the, in the sons of Jacob. Judah got the blessing and Joseph got the double portion. God doesn't care about man's traditions. Okay, so that's number one. So if that's the case, then it could have been further down in Terah's life before Abraham was born, Abram was born, right? That could rectify the problem. The other thought is this, that when they left Ur of the Chaldees, remember they worshipped idols, right? And the Lord appeared unto Abram, not Terah. And Abram told, must have told Terah what happened, right? And Terah led them out based on what Abram, and they went up to Haran and got stuck. Jewish tradition says that, that Terah might have gotten back into idolatry. In which case, as far as the Jews are concerned, he's dead. And Abram got out of there. By the way, sometimes that's the case. God's got a God will get into a place where we don't belong and God's got to open our eyes that there's some things going on that we got to get out and he's getting out of there that ain't where he's supposed to be in the first place and so God's sending him out of there and so now he's coming out of there he, is, uh, he has been wandering around now he's finally getting down to where he's supposed to be and so what is the problem that he has not been following the directions of God that's why he's moving all over the place can I tell you, God's given us clear directions in the word of God. And if we just follow them, we get where we need to be. Let me give you a sample of them. I'm just going to read an excerpt, a sample of them. James chapter number four, verse number seven. It's a series of instructions. I heard Mark Ruby preach a, preach a message about having revival out of here. And I believe, by the way, if we never follow, we'd see revival in our lives. It says, number, verse number, uh, James chapter four, verse seven. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. That right there is most of our problem. Because when we submit ourselves to God, our desires, our wills, our thoughts go away and his directions come into play. And we go on where he wants us to go. We start following directions as soon as we start submitting. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Here's the next one. Resist the devil. Can I say, by the way, it didn't say fight the devil. It did not say to go up there and shake your finger and call the devil what he is and do this. And I know preachers preach that all the time. They, they're, they're, they're treading where they don't belong. Amen. I don't like to give that thing one single bit of credit that, that, I, that, that 
because the truth of the matter is the Bible says he's a liar. He's the reason this world's in the state that it's in, uh, that he is destined, he's doomed for a bear, for the lake of fire. I understand all that and I recognize all that. The Bible calls him the adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren. I understand all that. But Jude will also tell us that when Michael the archangel, uh, that when he uh, that he when he when uh, uh, just uh, dealt with uh, Satan over the body of Moses, he said he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And if Michael the archangel is not going to sit there and shake his finger and tell Satan what he is, can I tell you, I'm not either. I'm going to follow what the Bible tells me and resist him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. They'll get you somewhere. Imagine where we'd be if, if, uh, if Eve had resisted the devil. And he'd have fled. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. By the way, what a promise. Hey, we're running away from him, we're resisting him, getting away from the devil, and we're drawing nigh to God, and we got a promise that if we'll start moving his direction, it's like that old country song. I know that that ain't right, but I still like this old country song. It says, you start walking my way, and I'll start walking yours, and we'll meet in the middle there. I think it's a Georgia pine or something. Hey, I don't know about no Georgia pine or this, but I know this. If we start walking toward God, he'll move our direction. He'll close up the distance. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh unto us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> Didn't pull any punch there, did he? Get yourself cleaned up. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. I, wanna, I'm not, I, can't, I don't have time to go into that tonight. Basically, get yourself cleaned up. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What are you saying? I'm, what I'm saying in that last part there is this. We ought to get sorry about the sin in our lives. We ought to get saddened and grieved over top of it. The Bible said over in Matthew, blessed are them that mourn for they shall be comforted, right? If we get started mourning over the sin in our lives and grieving over it, God will find, we'll find comfort because God God will help us get out of it. And he'll lift us up. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying we need to follow some directions. Sometimes that can be a hindrance. The reason we're, a lot of the times, the reason we're not where we're supposed to be spiritually speaking is because we're not following the directions. Even when he got out of Haran, Abram still did not follow the directions. What did he say when he left Aaron? Who did he take with him? Right. Lot. Now the Bible will say Lot was a just man. I understand that, right? But he's still carrying a load that he doesn't need to carry. He's still not following the directions. And he gets down in there. <coughs> Let's face it, Lot causes Abram some problems. Right? They get down in there. They've been around for. They've been traveling around a little while, and all of a sudden, Lot's herdmen and Aaron's herd, and, and, and Abram's herdmen start getting into a little bit of a dispute over water and about pasture, right? Because they're both very wealthy. Abram takes the place of faith. He says, "All right, Lot, you go your direction, and I'll go the other. You just take, you take a pick." By the way, that's faith. That's faith in God. Because what happened? Lot looked toward the well-watered plains of Sodom, right? And Jordan down there, he says, I'm going to go pick that one because, boy, that looks good. And, and Abram turned around and looked, man, this don't look quite as good. Lot says, I'm going that direction. And Abram says, I'm following God. <laughs> and so Lot goes down that way. What happens? He ends up down in Sodom, does he not? And so what happens while he's down there in Sodom? A battle takes place. These aren't these kings from the north come down and they take over that land down there and they get Lot and all of his stuff and they take him and they take him prisoner and captive and now he's leaving, he's lost it all. And Abram hears about it and now he's got to go and gather up his army. He's got a few confederates of the people around about him. And he goes up there and what's amazing, you have, I think it's four kings uh, uh, from the north that came down there battling five kings in the south right there uh, in the land of Sodom. And the four kings that came in from the north won the battle. Abram takes about 300 or 100, or 100 and some men, whatever it is. He goes up there and puts down that army. God don't need the numbers, by the way. And delivers Lot out of that. Man. That's where we have that, that great story about Melchizedek, right? 
And so Lot hadn't learned his lesson. He's still down there in Sodom. One day God comes to visit Abram, tells him he's going to have a son in a year. He says, oh, by the way, I'm going down to see what's going on down there in Sodom. I'm probably going to destroy it. And Abram, all of a sudden, I can imagine it clicks into Abram's mind. He says, wait a minute, Lot's down there. And, oh, by the way, it's my fault he's down there. Because I drug him down here. And now Lot's down there in Sodom. And God's going down to destroy the place. And that's where Abram starts dealing with God, right? He says, God, if you find 50 righteous down there, are you still going to destroy it, right? And God says, no, I'll not destroy it if there's 50 righteous down there. And he says, well, what if, what if you come up 10 short, right? Will you, do it for, will you still do it if you find 40? God says, no, I'll find 40. Or I'll not do it for 40. He says, well, what if there's half that many? And I think the numbers are right here, but I, I may be off, and I'm off, that's fine. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting. He says, well, you do it for 20. God says, I'll not destroy it if there's 20 of them down there. He says, well, God, what if you come up five short of 20? Will you do it for 15? Will you spare the city if you can find 15 righteous people down there? God says, okay, I'll, I'll not destroy it if I can find 15. Well, what if you find five? What if you're five short of that? What, what if, I mean, what if there's only 10 down there, right? And God says, I'll not destroy it for 10. And Abraham stops. Now, I don't know why Abraham stopped. I mean, he whittled God way down, right? He whittled God from basically, I'm going down there to destroy it, to if I can find 10 righteous people, I'll let that place survive. And Abram's sitting there going, Abraham stopped. Now, I've wondered at times if Abraham wasn't doing some math. Because the Bible will tell us clearly Lot was a just man. We'll get in the New Testament, we'll find that out. He may not have been where he's supposed to be, but he was a just man. By the way, there's a lot of children of God that ain't where they're supposed to be, but they're still the children of God. See, how do you know? Been there, done that. He had two daughters with him there in the house, right? So Lot's a just man. Surely he's taught his two daughters that are there in the house with him, right? So now we're up to three. Plus his wife, and, he's, and his wife has heard about, uh, about God and about everything that he's done. Surely we got at least four of them, right? And then it talks about his sons-in-law, plural, which means he had at least two more daughters. So now we're up to six plus their husbands. Now we're up to eight. And surely he's taught them correctly and that they have married good men that, that, that know the word of God. And so we've got at least eight righteous men. And then it talks about his sons. Now we're up to ten. Yeah. And I ain't got out of Lot's family yet. Right? Amen. Right? And so... If Lot has raised his family right, and if they are following God, the city can be saved. <laughs> and who makes it out? Lot and his two daughters, because his wife gets turned into a pillar of salt. There are things that we're going to carry, because if we're not following the directions. Let, let me take a pause here real quick. It's our responsibility to teach our family. We can't make them always, all right? I want to make that very clear, okay? But it is our responsibility to teach them and to not take them to a place like that. <laughs> but if he had followed the directions, how much heartache and trouble would he have avoided? You say, but that had been hard to leave his family. Yeah, sometimes following the instructions of God are difficult. It's a lot easier to do it, or a lot easier to preach it than it is to do it. But here I think is the number one hindrance. The destination might be a hindrance. The directions might be a hindrance. But then there's that desire. I said he got it all the way back in Ur of the Chaldees, right? And it wasn't Abraham, Abram that got him started. It was Terah that got him started. Because maybe his desire wasn't quite what it ought to be. One of the number one reasons, I believe, the hindrances in the child of God getting to the place where God would have them to be is they just don't have the desire to serve God like we ought to. 
The Bible will tell us very clearly that God will give us the desires of our heart, right? But you got two hearts. And we understand that Jeremiah will tell us that one of them is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the, old, the motto of the day, you know, and the, the motto of the Disney stuff is follow your heart, right? God said, God's telling you don't follow your heart. It'll re- lead you the wrong way. It, it's a liar. You say, how do you know? I don't do it. But there's another one inside of me. And if, that, and if I let that one guide, it's a whole different ballgame. We've got to get our desire right. That's where it starts. You know, the destination isn't as, much, isn't as scary if our desire is to get where God would have us to be. The directions are a whole lot easier to handle if our desire is what God would have us to have be. If we kind of get that one dealt with, can I say that's where we ought to start right there, is that we ought to get to the place where God, we know God is trying to draw us somewhere. We know God wants to take us somewhere, but we're just not, can I say when God dealt with me to preach, I didn't have much of a desire to preach. I'm here to tell you, there's still a part of me that doesn't have the desire to do it. And if God would let me, I'd quit. Unfortunately, I've read in the Bible where it says the callings of God, callings and gifts of God are without repentance. So that means I don't get to quit. And anyway, <laughs> I've learned this though. I've never felt more at peace when I'm do- than when I'm doing what God would have me to do, and it's working on my other desire. Right? This is what we ought to be doing. Number one thing is we ought to be praying, having God help us to get our desire, our will fixed. That was step one in the directions, by the way, was it not? Submit yourselves unto God. It's getting that desire. I was talking here before church there, and I think about this. There are people that have a desire to be here tonight. There very well may be people all around this nation, all around this world that have a desire to be in church tonight, but for whatever reason, they can't get there. Regardless, I I don't know what it is, but their goal would be. If they could, they'd be there. Right? They've got a desire. How many people, there are people in this very church right now, that could be here tonight. You say, how do you know they were here this morning? But they don't have the desire. They don't have the want to. Can I say, I thank God for those that have a desire to serve God. And that's the place where we start. Because if we never get that situated, we'll never find the destination. And will not be able to follow the directions. I'm glad Abraham eventually got his desire right. I don't know where it was and when it was. But he eventually got it right. The Bible will tell us there in the book of Hebrews. That Abraham searched for a city. Which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. (laughs) What was God's promise? He was going to give him that land for an inheritance. You know Abraham never owned one single bit of land in there. Except a cave. That he buried his dead in. But he got his desire right. He got where he was supposed to be. And boy. Did God use him. Started a nation through him. That in him. The Lord Jesus Christ came one day. Because Abram. Got his desire right. Now I understand. I, no matter what God does with me, it ain't going to bring the Lord Jesus Christ back, okay? I get that. But I just wonder what God can do through a couple people who get their desire right and not care where the destination is, just say, I'm going wherever God wants me to go. Wherever it is that he'll use me, that's where I want to go, and I'm going to get in and find out his instructions and follow his directions to get me there and just see what God can do through it. 
I think we'd stand back and go, wow. What God is working in our lives. But it starts getting our desire right. Following the directions to get to the place where God would have you to be. Now, I don't know what that is. I know what it is for me, but I don't know what it is for you. Some of you may be already there, and you're wandering around there, and thank God for it. I thank God that there are, in some of these churches, there are people who are following God and doing what God would have them to do. Unfortunately, this is the minority and not the majority. Imagine if we start getting more and more and more following God, seeking his desire for our lives, and just going wherever it is he would have us to go. I think we'd see some amazing things. We guess a song of invitation. Maybe God's been dealing with your heart. Maybe God's been speaking to you. I kind of picked up this morning, where, or picked up this evening where I left off this morning. Just kind of worked out that way, right? We were talking this morning about serving God. This evening we're talking about getting to that place to serve God. Maybe God's dealing with you. You say, there, there's some instructions. There's some things that I know God's told me that I ought not be doing. And I just don't want to follow the instructions. Come and pray this, this evening, Lord, that God would help us to get over that. Maybe you're here this evening and you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior. You can't even start the journey until you get there. Be a great time to come and accept the Lord as your Savior. And He'll guarantee you get to your final destination as we stand and sing.